church, I'd invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 will be in verse 18 through verse number 25. Let me encourage you married couples. Uh, we would, Tanya and I would love to have you come join us March 11th and 12th at our uh, gospel conversational marriage retreat called Thrive. We'd love for you to be there. The spaces are filling up, so if you want to come, you can get on the bridge or a website and register. We'd love to see you there March 11th and 12th. Who has been married the most? I don't mean who's been married the longest period of time. What I mean is who's been married the most amount of times? King Henry VIII married six times. Elizabeth Taylor, eight. Zaza Gabor, nine. Those seems like they would be top candidates, right? Uh, one lady, Linda Wolf, uh, was married 23 times. That seems a bit excessive to me. I don't know about you. 23 times. But she is not the person who's been married the most. In fact, the one who's been married the most was actually a Baptist minister. Now, what I, I'm not playing with words here. What I don't mean is the Baptist minister officiated the most wedding. Like, I'll say I married them, meaning I officiated their wedding. That's, no, no, no. The, the groom that stood as a groom the most times of any other person married, he's a Baptist minister, married 29 times. 29 times. And his last marriage was to Linda Wolf, who'd been married 23 times. Uh, that, their last marriage was a publicity stunt, though. It was, and that got me thinking, is marriage just a publicity stunt? What, whose idea was marriage anyway? I mean, research tells us, and, and I know you can't, it's hard to nail a number down on how many marriages end in divorce and those kind of things. But one thing that's consistent is the more marriages a person has, the divorce rate increases, which makes sense, because if they stayed married, they wouldn't get divorced, right? So first marriage, about 40% end in divorce. Second marriage, 60%. Third marriage, 70%. And it just increases. It doesn't bode well for marriage if you get married again and again and again and again and again. And it begs the question, whose idea was this anyway? Was it the government's idea or was, is it a global idea? Because we see people in every culture getting married. Some are arranged marriages, some may not be, but every culture has their marriage every tribe and language and nation and people we see them marrying and giving in marriage as Jesus said in the days that that will be happening people will be marrying and giving in marriage and so the question that was birthed in my heart is whose idea was this anyway and in Genesis 2 we see this was not a global idea it wasn't this group's idea or that group's idea marriage wasn't just merely a good idea marriage is God's idea so I want to speak to you on that subject. Marriage, what a God idea. And we see it from the first marriage. We're going to go back to the first wedding. We're going to go back to the first marriage between Adam and Eve. And we're going to learn some lessons that we can take and apply to our lives. Whether you're married, unmarried, remarried, demarried. You can take these principles and apply them. All of them. So there's three of them we're going to learn today. So first I want to read the text. So if you're there, say I'm there. Verse 18. Genesis 2. Here we go. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, 
there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God in heaven we pray this morning as we open your word, as we hear your word, as we receive your word I pray we will respond to it in a way that will change us and please you and we ask it in Jesus name and God's people said all right here's our takeaway then I want to give you the three lessons so the big idea the main point of the sermon is this marriage is not about marrieds it's not about husband and wife it's not about uh, the man or the woman. It's not about marriage. Again, whether you're married, unmarried, remarried, demarried, marriage is not about you. And that's the very first lesson we can learn here. Marriage is not about you. It's not about me, and it's not about you. So what's a lesson we can take from this first marriage and apply it to, to our lives today, wherever we are? Number one, marriage is not about you. Now, I know that's odd. That's foreign to us. We live in a self a selfie posting picture taking culture that says everything's about us right so what does this mean that this marriage relationship has nothing to do with us it involves us but it's not about us marriage is a picture in fact peter tells us in first peter 3 that that, that the husband and wife are co-heirs of the grace of life that, that marriage is a window that the world looks in and sees God's glory. It's a witness to God's grace. That's what marriage is. It's a picture. I, I got a picture I want to show you this morning. This is a picture uh, from a person taking a picture of a person taking a picture of a person taking a picture of a person. You see that? Because somebody had to take this picture, right? <laughs> that picture, somebody had to take it. And he or she took it while taking a picture of another person, taking a picture of another, taking a picture of another person. Is this picture about that dude standing there in front of that building like this? Probably not. It probably has to do with the building behind him, right? And this is how marriage works. Marriage involves us. We're in the picture, but it's not about us. It points to someone greater than us. It points to Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, the true God, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who marriage is all about, even the first marriage. So let's go all the way back. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, I'm so grateful that God took, takes the initiative. The Lord God said, Lord is the personal name of God. It's Yahweh and God is Elohim. So it's the one true Yahweh, the one true Jehovah, Jehovah, the one true God. And this 
the Lord God said startles us. Because look at what he says. It's very startling. In fact, if you are reading the creation account for the very first time, or you're hearing it for the first time, this would, this would startle you to read what he says. Well, what does he say? This is what he says. It's not good. Well, boy, we hadn't, we, we've not heard that before. If you've read Genesis 1 and 2, all you've heard is, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was six times this joyous refrain. And God saw that it was good. And then the seventh refrain is even more joyous as God, God looked and said, it's very good. And then we read something that's not good. And this is strong language, by the way, that's used here. This is, this is indicating not just the absence of good, but it's indicating incompleteness. Think about it like this. Go back to Genesis 1. God is creating creation. He makes the heavens. But the heavens are incomplete without the illuminaries and the birds. He makes the sea, but the sea is incomplete without the fish and the sea creatures. He makes the land, but the land is incomplete without land animals and plants and trees and human beings. He makes Adam, but Adam is incomplete without Eve. Every phenomenon in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, every single one of them, except God himself, the creator, every single phenomenon in Genesis 1 and 2 is in need of something else to be complete. Everything else. And so what does God say? It's not good. He says it's not good that the man should be alone. God is the one who says this. Adam doesn't say this. Adam has no idea he's alone. Adam has no context at all to know that he's alone. He doesn't know that. He's in the perfect Garden of Eden. He has no clue he's alone. God is the one who knows that, not Adam. See, here's a strong principle from the Word of God. That should make you shout for joy. And here it is. Think of it like this. Eve was in the mind of God long before Eve was in the arms of Adam. God knew what Adam needed before Adam knew he needed it. God knew what Adam needed. God put into process the meeting of Adam's need before Adam knew he needed anything. That's what God's doing in your life and in my life. God has already put into process. He's already begun the process of meeting your need and meeting my need before we know we need anything. This is who God is. And for Adam, he had already formed Eve in his mind before he brought Eve to Adam and put her in Adam's arms. And notice what God says. It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. In other words, I'll make a helper in front of him, according to what is in front of him. God is saying, I'm going to make a helper that will correspond to Adam. One that will complete Adam and one that will complement Adam. In other words, Eve was not made superior to Adam. Eve was not made inferior to Adam. Adam and Eve are equal. They were made equal. God said, I'm going to make one to complete him and to complement him. I'm going to make a helper fit for Adam. I'm making one for him. Well, what does this have to do with my marriage? I want you to think about something. These two becoming one flesh. 
Adam and Eve becoming one flesh. Husband and wife becoming one flesh. Two is singular or plural? Somebody tell me. Singular or plural? Two. Plural. And then they become one what? Singular. I want you to think about God. Why is it, Pastor, that marriage is not about me? It's about Adam and Eve, isn't it? Well, they're included in it, but it's not about them. Because they're pointing us to something else. They're pointing us to someone else. See, Adam was created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. For God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, God created them. You are an image bearer of God. Has it ever occurred to you that as an image bearer of God that you should bear the image of God? And one way we do that is in marriage. See, God, there's a plurality to God. He is one God, yes, one singular, the one true God, but he reveals himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one has a work to do. God is the architect of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the applier of salvation. And God the Son is the achiever of salvation. They each play a role. Three in one. Three is plural. Has it ever occurred to you that your marriage and my marriage and marriage, the plurality of it, the two in one, only and always is about the three in one we find in God. It's all about Him. It's not about us. And so God says, I'm going to make a helper fit for Adam to complement him, to complete him. And the two will become one. So what do we expect to read now at this point in the narrative? We expect to read in verse 19. What do you expect to read? Now, out of the ground, the Lord God made Eve, right? Because he said, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Okay. So the next thing that should happen is he should take some dust of the ground and form Eve and bring her to Adam. But that's not what happens. We, <laughs> so, something else is interjected here. I, it, it, it's, it's strange at first sight what's happening in this narrative. Uh, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. What is happening here? What is this exercise of Adam naming the animals? What does this have to do with marriage? And so listen, th- these animals are paraded in front of Adam. And what's happening when he sees them? He examines them, he looks at them, he says, okay, I'll call this one that, and I'll call that one this. And he's naming these animals. One by one, he names them as they're paraded in front of him. And whatever he called them, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. What is God doing? God's doing several things here. One thing God is not doing. God is not preparing Adam to be Dr. Doolittle. He's not. He's preparing Adam to be a husband in a marriage in three ways. First of all, he's helping Adam understand, hey, buddy, you're alone. He's giving Adam a hunger for a companion. He's teaching Adam to lead. He's teaching Adam to love. And let me show you how he does this. Let's take lead, for example. In fact, leader is one of the roles of a husband, to lead and to love. And God's teaching Adam, this is how you lead, this is how you love. God is sovereign over all his creation. God named the earth. God named the sky. God named 
the, the day, the night. He, he named mankind. He, he, but he left the naming of the animals to Adam. Why? Because God wants Adam to know, hey, it's your time to lead. I'm going to let you lead. Now, I'm going to teach you how to be a leader now, Adam. And God, our God is a God. How many of you know our God is a God of order? How many of you know that everything that's happening in our world that seems to be falling apart, it is falling right into place? How many of you know that? These, what's happening is not out of order. God is not a God of disorder. He's not. He, he is a God of order. And here from the very beginning we see evolutionists will look at you and evolutionists will tell you that we are some advanced, evolved form of the animal kingdom. And that's just not true. That's unbiblical and that is untruth. Adam did not come from a fish. And Adam didn't come from a monkey. In fact, Adam names the fish. The fish doesn't name Adam. Adam names the monkey. The monkey doesn't name Adam. There's an order to this. God is telling, hey, Adam, you have dominion over the animal kingdom. Let me translate that today. This is an unpopular truth, but let me translate it. Folks, your pet is not a person. It's not a person. I was in the grocery store the other day. They had more refrigerated food for the pets on the pet aisle than they had for the humans on every other aisle. Your pet is not a person. We have dominion over the animal kingdom. We didn't come from the animal kingdom. We're made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. We are. They're not. And God is teaching Adam how to lead. Say, hey, Adam, I'm teaching you headship. I'm teaching you to be the head of your family and the head of your wife as Christ is the church. And that's, that's coming after the fall, certainly. But he's teaching him how to lead. Secondly, he's teaching Adam how to love. I don't, we don't know how this happened, but can't you just picture the animals coming before Adam and Adam say, okay, here's Mr. Chimpanzee, and there's Mrs. Chimpanzee. And then he begins to note, hey, there's a pattern here. Here's Mr. Crocodile, here's Mrs. Crocodile. Here's Mr. Mouse and Mrs. Mouse. Here's Mr. Deer and Mrs. Deer. Of course, Yesterday was opening of both seasons, so there may be less Mr. and Mrs. Deer today. There's Mr. Whippoorwill. There's Mrs. Whippoorwill. There's Mr. Chick-fil-A cow. There's Mrs. Chick-fil-A cow. And Adam begins to see something. Hey, there's two of each of these. There's a, they look the same, but they're different. And there's a male and a female. There's a Mr. and a Mrs. and... What happens in Adam's heart, he begins to form a hunger for a companion. And he looks around and says, I don't see a Mrs. Adam. You know what this is? God is teaching Adam how to value Eve right here. He's teaching him how to honor Eve right here. He's teaching him how to serve and love Eve right here. We can say that this exercise of naming the animals is Adam's premarital counseling session with God. That God is working him through premarital counseling, teaching him, Adam, this is your role, and this is your role as a husband. And I'm going to make a helper fit for 
you. Adam needed to know he needed help. Gosh, if we could just get people to that place, church. If we could just get people to the place where they realize I need help. There's a helper. He's the Holy Spirit. And he convicts people of their sin. He brings you to the place where you have an awareness of a hunger in your heart that is put there by God himself that can't be filled by anything else other than a relationship with him. And that only comes by way of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit's the one that makes us aware you need help. And there's a helper who is an ever-present help. Can anybody testify to that? An ever-present help in times of trouble. And his name is the Lord God. His name is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's helped you to realize you're not too lost for God to find you. And you're not too guilty for God to forgive you. And you're not too sinful for God to save you. And you're not too hurt for God to heal you. And you're not too broken for God to fix you. And the Holy Spirit lets you know that and points you to Jesus. And this is what marriage is all about. Remember, this is before the fall, before sin. God made an awareness in Adam's heart he needed help. And he's going to make a helper fit for him. And so the first lesson we can learn, marriage is not about you, it's not about me. Second lesson we can learn, marriage is not about your spouse. It's not about your spouse, it's not about my spouse, it's not about Eve. It wasn't about Adam and, it's not about, and it wasn't about Eve. And so here we see what happens. God did not consult with Adam to ask, Hey, Adam, can you tell me what you need in a helper? Adam, you tell me what you need. God didn't consult with Adam. God didn't get Adam's two cents. God didn't email Adam. He didn't reach out to Adam in any way to ask Adam, Hey, Adam, what do you need in a helper? God put Adam to sleep, a deep sleep. You know, the most spiritual thing you can do is go to sleep. Because there's one who never slumbers and never sleeps. And that's God. And when you go to sleep, that takes a lot of faith and trust to go to sleep. You're trusting God's going to wake you up. It takes a lot of faith and trust to take all the worries and the anxieties and say, God, it's yours, and go to sleep. So what we don't, we don't see Adam frantically running around trying to find a, a mate. We don't see him doing that in the Garden of Eden. We don't see him going to gardenofeden.com to try to get matched up with somebody in the garden. He's not running around frantically. Now, I don't know how you met your spouse. You probably did not meet your spouse the way Tanya and I met. Pretty unconventional way that we met in a bar, in a club, on the dance floor. I was a bouncer in the club on the dance floor when we met. But we can see how God brought us together. We can see God's hand in that. Now, I don't mean go to a club to find your mate, okay? Don't hear that. <laughs> most pastors meet them in church. But I'm, Tanya and I are not like most pastors and pastors' wives. We, uh, we <laughs> Tanya will tell you, I didn't marry a pastor. And she is correct. I never thought I'd be one. But we can see how God brought us together. And I'm sure you can see the same thing. God's hand in this. You may have met your spouse online. You may have met your spouse at church. You may have met your wherever that is. Hey, God's hand was in that. Surely it was. So Adam is not running around frantic. What's he doing? Goes to sleep. So let me say this to all the married men. Hey, listen to me. You cannot improve on the spouse God gave to you. He gave you the perfect woman for you. Perfect in every way. 
I heard one amen from a husband, I think. <laughs> I know you guys said amen in your heart, right? And, and so, so know that. We can't improve. There was no other person literally on planet Earth for Adam other than Eve. There were only two people on Earth. And there weren't anybody else for Eve than Adam. But it doesn't matter if there was 8 billion people on the Earth. There wouldn't have been anybody else for Adam than Eve and nobody else for Eve than Adam. And the same is true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he'll do the same thing for you. So unmarried, think about that. You may be anxious about being single and you're saying, God, the, the clock's ticking here. I'm getting older. I'm single, God. What? You need to know that God can be trusted to provide you a maid in the right time and in the right way. You just know that and you stand on that. This is what we can take away from this and be encouraged by this. And so God calls him to go into a deep sleep. And look what God does when the man goes to sleep. He takes a rib and, 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 and he takes this rib as he slept and he begins to form a woman. Now notice where God forms the, or what God forms the woman from. It's not the dust of the ground. Eve was the only creature that wasn't formed from the dust of the ground. Now indirectly she was because she came from out of man. But it's indirectly. Directly she was taken out of man. Why? Because it's the, one, the two becoming one flesh. That's why. And he, he takes her and he forms her. And, and, and I love what Matthew Henry said about this. this. This is so good. The woman was taken from Adam's side, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected, from close to his heart to be loved. Two in one. I have had the opportunity as a pastor to officiate several weddings, and I've seen a lot of proud fathers walk their daughters down the aisle. I've seen a lot of that. Well, this is the first time it ever happened right here. The Bible is clear that God the Father brought his daughter Eve to the man. He brought her, gave her to Adam, and the two became one flesh. Your marriage, my marriage. Marriage is not about marrieds. It's all about Jehovah Yahweh. It's all about God the Father. It's all about the Helper, God the Holy Spirit. It's all about God the Son. It, has, it involves us. It's not about us. God takes the initiative in every way at the first marriage that we have in Scripture. So here's the third lesson we can walk away with. Marriage is all about your Savior. Marriage is all about your Savior. Got a pastor friend of mine. He is an adult pastor in the Murfreesboro area. And he's going to officiate a wedding coming up in October. And the wedding got pushed a year. It was supposed to be happening. And then COVID had it pushed. And, but this couple he's marrying, they're believers. They're part of their church. And she is an Egyptian lady. And her culture in Egypt uh, is pretty strict when it comes to, it's not necessarily, it's not arranged marriages, but they have some, some strict uh, rules when it comes to physical touch and that kind of thing. So they have not kissed. Their first kiss will be on their wedding day. But their culture also teaches that the first kiss can't be in public, has to be in private. 
So there will be no, you may kiss your bride at the ceremony. That will not be a part of this wedding. I assure you this, when Adam woke up, I don't care if there were 8 billion people there, or just Adam and Eve there, or Adam and Eve and anybody else there. I don't, listen, Adam in no way was he going to wait one more second before he kissed his bride. No way. And I can prove it to you. Look at verse 23. And look what Adam says. Now you've got to understand what's happening here. Adam has named all the animals. There's been a lot of creatures come before Adam. He wakes up. Here's another creature. But she don't look like an animal. She kind of looks like me. But she's different. And I would have loved to have been there to see the light bulb go off in his head. Wait a minute. What? Oh, wow. Baby, where you been my whole life? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what he said. Look at verse 23. It's what he says. This, at last. I mean, it's like a shout of joy. At last. This. This is it. Where you been my whole life? I mean, he just gets beside himself. And he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. For she was taken, I'll call her woman, she was taken out of man. A joyous exclamation of praise and shout and cry for joy that finally he had a helper fit for him. A maid, a companion made just for him and him made just for her. See, Eve was like Adam, but she's different. Now, it went okay for a little while, but then the fall happened. We get to Genesis 3, and what happened? I mean, you get to the end of Genesis 2. You can read that just like I can. They were naked and were not ashamed. They're both naked and not ashamed. What does that mean? That means that they were very transparent, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and relationally in every other way. Transparent, in other words... Nothing was hidden between them because there was nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. Total and utter transparency. No walls at all. No walls between them at all. And then the fall happened, and what happened? What'd they do? They sewed what? Fig leaves together. What'd they do with them? They covered up. What'd they do? They built some walls between them because now there was something hidden. Why? Because now there's something to hide. Because, hey... Now they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what Adam says is good, Eve may not say is good. And what Eve says is good, Adam may not say is good. And the fall happened and sin came in and corrupted this relationship. Can you imagine? You know, I'm sure if you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years, the longer you're married, the more walls come down, right? The longer you're committed to each other, the more transparent you are and just walls come down, come down, come down, come down. Can you imagine from day one there being no walls at all? No sin, no stain, no history of sin, no guilt or shame or anything. and man, That's like heaven, right? It's like heaven, but now the fall has happened. And yes, Eve brought Adam some joy. Absolutely, he's shouting and exclaiming joy here. But then the fall happened. Then there was another void. See, I... Here's, here's, here's a strong principle here. You are not 
your spouse's savior. And your spouse is not your savior. Can you bring each other joy and satisfaction and come? Yes, 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 yes. But due to sin, there had to come one, bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. To an extent, Jesus put on this flesh. He is the word who put on flesh and dwelt among us. But he was different. He looked like us, but he was different from us. Why? Because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin was the Lord Jesus. He never sinned. He's the only one that's never sinned. He was the perfect sacrifice as he died on the cross for you and for me. And they laid him in a tomb. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he walked out of that tomb. And because he walked out of the grave, now we can walk in grace. And because he's alive and, and because he lives today, we too can have joy and satisfaction. And comfort. You don't get that eternally from your spouse. You get that from the second Adam, from the Lord Jesus. You get it from him. And so marriage helps us see that, yes, we have a helper, one to help us, but they don't save us. And there's a void in your heart and mind. You know, when I was studying through this text, and a question just kept arising in my heart and in my mind. Why marriage? The world over, have, has, has marriages in their different cultures, and they do them totally different ways. But the idea of marriage is everywhere. Marriage is everywhere. And why is that? Haven't we seen plenty of divorce from this first marriage till today? I mean, we've seen so much divorce that you look at it and say, man, I don't know if a lifetime with one person is even possible, much less desirable. And I'm thinking, why would anybody, if, if, if half of marriages end in divorce, why would anybody want to be a part of such a thing? Why is it still around? Why is it not, why is it, hasn't it just disappeared? Why, why is it still on the table? Why is it here? It's here because of Genesis 2.18 that God said it's not good that man should be alone. That God has put into the eternity, uh, 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 he's put eternity in the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And down deep in our spiritual DNA, there is a desire to belong to someone and have someone belong to us. There is a desire to have a companion. There's a desire for relationship. God has built us that way. I don't care if you're an agnostic an atheist, I don't care if you're a Buddhist or Hindu or Christian, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, it doesn't matter. You are a spiritual being and God has made you for relationship. He's made you to not be alone and he's put that there. And so many people walk down the aisle thinking this is what I need to make me whole. But without Christ, nothing is whole. Without Jesus, nothing is made right without Him. And I pray that if you don't know Christ, that today you'll turn to Him and you'll put your faith in Him and you'll trust in Him and you'll call upon His name. See, for Adam and Eve and for every marriage since, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's leaving and cleaving. Leaving financially, leaving emotionally, leaving spiritually, leaving relationally and cleaving to your spouse that's an ongoing thing cleaving and pursuing and holding fast and they become one flesh and here we see Christ pointed to Christ is the one who put on this flesh they called him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins and he's here today to do just that 
He's here today to save you. The Holy Spirit, the helper is here to convict you of your sin, let you know, hey, you need help. You need help. And I'm here to help you. And he draws you unto salvation. You know, that, that pastor, that Baptist pastor, been married 29 times, Scotty Wolf. The tragic ending of his story is a tragedy. His body went unclaimed for weeks because he had nobody in his life. Been married 29 times, had countless children, had nobody in his life. Nobody. Maybe you feel alone. Certainly, you're probably, many of us are lonely in so many different ways. But the answer is in a relationship with your Creator God who has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus. So let me challenge you to search your heart today. Some of you say, yeah, I've trusted Christ, and maybe you're married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're single, maybe you've never been married, or maybe you hope to be married, and you're trusting God in all those situations and circumstances. Come to these steps and just tell God about it. He's ready to hear it. He wants to hear from you, so come tell him. If you're worshiping online, you can text us a prayer request. You can text us a decision you've made today to 79969. Let us know where you are with the Lord today. Marriage is not about us, church. It's not about marriage. Marriage was not about Adam and Eve. It was about the Alpha and the Omega. Marriage is not about the bride or the groom. It's about the bridegroom. Marriage is not about mankind's convenience. It's about God's covenant. Marriage is not about your Instagram story. It's about the I am's glory. Marriage is not about getting even with your spouse. It's about going the extra mile for your spouse. Marriage is not about a father giving away the bride. Marriage is about the God the Father forgiving his bride. Marriage is not about till dawn do us part. It's about till death do us part. Marriage is not about the woman or the man. It's about the God-man, the Lord Jesus Marriage is not about me. It's about the one mediator between God and me. The Lord, Christ Jesus. Marriage is not about finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right or finding the right person for life. It's about becoming the right person in Christ. Marriage is not about a ring on your left hand. It's about our King who is seated at God's right hand. It's always and forever will be about Christ. Marriage is not about citing 1 Corinthians 13 in your wedding. It's about seeing it lived out in your marriage. Marriage is not about how many views you can get on TikTok. It's all about the vows in wedlock. Marriage is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We've got some decisions to make today. There are some folks who today, Holy Spirit, you've revealed to them that they need some help. They are without you. They're looking for satisfaction in everything else. Maybe in their spouse, maybe in their children, maybe in their grandchildren. And it's just not fulfilling them. Because what is absent is you, Lord. So I pray right now that wherever they are, in person, online, they'd bow their heads and hearts. And Father, they'd ask you to forgive them of their sin. To come into their life that you would save them today. Please, God, save them. Holy Spirit, let us know we need help and reveal the person of Christ to them right now. And if that's you, we want to hear about it. 
Oh, my heavens, we want to hear about it and celebrate with you. So you text Jesus, the name Jesus, to 79969. Let us know. Tell us your story. We want to hear it. Father, I know there's plenty in this room. Whatever situation they're in, I pray they'll come to these steps and just lay it down. Whatever need that they think they have or even the needs we don't, we don't even know we need, Lord, you provide them. So I pray they'll come and pray any prayer requests they have, any decisions they'll make. They want to join the church today. I'd invite them to come. Uh, grab me at, at the steps here. We'll have another pastor down here as well. Come to me or one of our pastors. If you want to get baptized or you want to get saved or you want to join the church or you want to know more information, you come right now. As we stand, as we sing, as we worship, you come. Father, have your way among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You come, church, as we worship.